you have your Bibles, you can find your way to 1 Peter. Again, my name is Kyle Black. If I don't know you, I'm pastor here at Watershed. We're, we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. And, and this summer we've been embarking on a series called Truth Shaped. And, and what we mean by that is how our lives as Christians and ultimately then as the church, as we make up the church through the individual lives that we have as Christians, what that looks like to be shaped by the truth that we've been given by God, the, the, the revelation that he's given us, how does that shape our lives? And, and in doing that, understand how we still fit within culture, how we still engage and interact with culture, even though that we're shaped differently because we're shaped by the God's word and God's truth instead of popular belief or, or cultural dynamics. And so we want to look at that. Today, today we're, we're coming on the, an interesting part because it's, it's truth-shaped community. What does it mean to live in community with others? And, and as a church, but, but ultimately not just on Sundays, like not just what we do here, but throughout the week. What does it mean to live in community with other believers? Because we should. That, that we believe here and we, we are firm in our idea that, that a Christian life is not a life meant to be lived alone. That we need to be surrounded by those that are, that are like-minded. And then together, when we build that community and we come together in that community, then that's when we go out into the culture surrounding us. And so what does that look like to do that? And, and you might have heard that, that everybody's normal until you actually get to know them. Have you ever heard that about people, that all people are normal until you get to know them? And, and it's so true. It's like most of you that are thinking about knowing me when you first met me and now that you know me better, kind of like, Exactly. You know, it's, but it's that idea that when we actually know each other, when we get into community, it's messy because our lives are messy. We're, 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 we're sinful people drawn selfishly, and, and that happens. In, and so how do we still have community? How do we get to know each other, grow closer to each other, knowing all the while that the deeper we get into community with each other, the messier it's going to get, and the, the more likely we're going to want to withdraw. And, and so, what does that look like? And today, we're going to be in the first part of 1 Peter 4. Um, we're going to just do those first 11 verses, kind of see through that. And then again, um, like today, like most of the summer, we're going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit. Not much. I don't like to do that, but there are a couple ways that we want to kind of bring a more vivid picture into what we're talking about today. So we'll go other places, but with a, the hub of it's going to be here in 1 Peter. So if you will, follow along. 1 Peter 4. We're going to read the first 11 verses. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they may line you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multiple multitude of sins. 
Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you will pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we, we come and we, we read from your truth and we, we understand that, that it is the authoritative word that we have to live by. God, we thank you that, that you inspired authors to write your word down so that, that we're not left not knowing, but you've given us your truth. God, and I just pray that today that, that truth would saturate our hearts. God, that your truth would, would completely consume who we are and the way we live our lives among other believers and ultimately those that are outside the church. God, we just thank you for that. And we just pray that, that everything we do today would be to glorify you through your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And so if you look at this, and what's interesting about this, this passage is you see there's all sorts of moving parts, which most of the time it is. When you look at something, there's like, how many different things can you talk about in this and bring some of that? So my goal today is to, to point out a little bits and pieces of what that looks like and then try to give a, an overarching picture of community. It's not going to be as detailed all the time. But it's going to give a, because what happens is a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, but when you want to define something, you get so specific that you're bound by that. And you think that if it doesn't go this way, then it's not going to work. And, and when, I, when I coached, when I taught the high school, that was always frustrating in basketball. Is you, you'd, write, you'd drop a play, and it, and it always never went that way. But you would have one player out of the five that always would do it exactly how you drew it up, no matter what happened. And so it screwed everything up, right? It, right? Are you that way? I don't, Keaton's that way. He's so literal. It's if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And he does it, even if something else changed. He's like, well, that's not what I'm supposed to do. And that's what I don't want us to get in community. I don't want us to get in this idea that it has to look a certain way for it to be exactly right. There's truth behind it. But what we see in Scripture is not a step or a checklist. It's this. That's why another thing, I was talking to another pastor that, that um, has planted a church by uh, Fort Bragg. And so we were talking kind of the army stuff and all that. And, and he said that he was talking about, he, he served himself. And he's talking about that he had met some, some people. And we even talked about this with Daniel because we have some of the Dutch soldiers here at Fort Hood. And talking about how the, the, the difference with our army is that, to, to summarize kind of what the conversation was, the difference with our army and everyone else is we just kind of, evolve on the battlefield we don't do exactly what's going to happen and i don't know if that's true i haven't been there but they said that we adapt better in combat and so it's harder to plan to fight against us so what they're saying and so that's kind of what we want to do with community we want to be adapting as it goes not that we throw the plans out that's not what i'm saying not there you don't throw the plans out but you're willing to to modify the plans even if it's accomplishing the same end goal which is to glorify jesus and so what we see first, and then what we see in that, when we look to glorify Jesus, we understand that the gospel completely changes who we are. And if it changes who we are individually, if we see that our identity is found in Christ alone, then we see that our community is found through a gospel 
working its way out in our lives. And so we first see that there's this gospel attitude. If that's the, this first part. Read these first six verses with me again. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of your life in time, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. We'll stop there because it's really the, the, the gist of what we want to see is that, that when we submit our lives to Christ, when we hear the gospel, we submit our lives to Christ, we, we, we confess our sin, we acknowledge him as Lord, our lives are then changed. And what happens then, if our lives are changed, then we live a different life. So we can say that we live a life post-salvation for God alone. This is no longer for our desires, our passions, it's to bring glory to him. That doesn't mean that we throw out work. That doesn't mean that we do all these other things, but it means that the end result in our mind should always be how are we going to bring glory to God through the proclamation of his gospel in a world that's fallen. And so when we look at this, you have to have a gospel attitude, and that's what that is. Why do we live for God? Why do we live that way? And the first way we remember that is that we've been bought by a price. We've been bought by a price. We're not our own. That's 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says that you've been bought by a price. You're no longer yours. And so we live for God because we're not our own, because we've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so if we're going to live our life that way, we have to realize through a gospel attitude that that's what's happened. We're no longer our own. We've been bought by Christ. Again, we also see in 2 Corinthians 5 when Paul says that anyone in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. And so if the old is gone and the new has come in Christ, how can we then live our lives the same way? We can't. And that's that gospel attitude we have to continually go back to. And that's what we see happening in, in, in culture and in society is we forget the idea that we're not our own. That we don't live our lives for ourselves, we live our lives for God. So that means that we can't define who we are. That we can't ultimately change who God created us to be just by some dramatic change. We can't choose to be someone else because we're not our own anyways. And, and to do that is to assume the role of creator, not creation. And so we have to have that gospel mentality that we are bought with a price. We're not our own. And when we understand that, we understand that the old has come, the new, the old has gone, the new has come, then we see that we live our lives to glorify him because we're not our own anymore. And that's what we see, that the how then, well, how do you do that? That's where Romans 12 comes in. We have to live our lives as what? A living sacrifice. We have to continually live our lives as a living sacrifice, giving our lives over to him because we've been bought by a price. That we're no longer our own. We can't just pick and choose who we are. We've been placed at this time in redemptive history to do one thing, bring glory to God. And that happens whether we submit our lives to Jesus and are adopted in the family or if we're objects of wrath if we continue to live in our sin. Both ways, God gets glory. But the gospel attitude shows us that we're not our own, so we submit our lives. And that changes our community. That changes our community, and then we just keep doing it. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, right? I press on to the goal. I keep pressing on. And that's the same thing that Peter's saying here is that you don't look back, you look forward. The gospel is a forward trajectory. 
There's no retreat in that. And so if we're going to live our lives, we're going to live in community with a gospel attitude is to remember that we're moving forward. We press on because we're a new creation. We seek and abide in Christ more and more continually every day, and then that changes the community. So the problem with community in churches today is we try to change community instead of changing ourselves. We forget that if you change ourselves, if we understand a gospel attitude, then community changes. That's what happens. It's a byproduct of that. We can't change community if we don't change the people within the community. Otherwise, it's going to be selfish and, and continually go. And so that's what we need to understand, that you cannot press on without a gospel attitude. We can't live our lives moving forward, bringing glory to God, if we don't have an attitude of the gospel that tells us we're not our own. And that's not, taking, that's not saying that we don't have consequences for actions. That's not, but the end result is that we bring glory to God because we realize that we are his children. That we live for him. That the very life that we have, we've been given. And that's when community looks different. And that's what you see in verse 2. It says, so to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And I love verse 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. It's like you've had your fun. What, what's already happened, that's, that's good enough. You had your time, you, you had fun, you did all that, now live for God. That you can't keep thinking about what's happened. You can't be, because who you are is not the same. You're never going to get that back again. And so what you need to understand, if we're going to live in community, the gospel attitude says that what's in the past is in the past. You're a new creation, you're bought with a price, so live your life that way. And that's when community will be truth-shaped because that's the truth of the gospel. Is that when we submit our lives to Christ, we're given a new heart, as they say, it says in Ezekiel. We get a new heart and a new life, and we're living towards him. And we see that it's not completely accomplished. That's what we get, if you look at verse 6, it's a little tricky. Sometimes we're like, I don't really want to read that verse because I don't understand it, right? Do you ever get that? Do you, read a, you read a passage and you, there's one verse and you're like, I don't understand that. So you just kind of read it faster the next time you read it. You're like, you, know, you say that if you don't know how to pronounce something, you just say it faster. It's kind of the same with that verse. You just, well, if I read it fast, it's not really there. But, but that's what, what he's talking about here. For, and, and really in verse 5, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. So what we see in this, what he's about to come is this understanding that the judgment of God will happen. It's going to happen. And he says, for it's why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. How do you preach to those who are dead? And if you look at commentaries, people are all over the book on this. It's not like we can go to these old church fathers and say, ooh, he got that right. They're all over the place. The easiest example or the easiest explanation of that is most likely that Peter's talking about those that he's preached to prior. Maybe they already are dead, but it's those that have been preached to, those who have heard the gospel, but are no longer with them. That's what, it was preached to them. It's the same message. But then it says, though they were judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And what we see in that is that there's still death that's going to happen. They're judged in the flesh. Death happens. None of us in here are going to escape physical death. It happens. Sometime unexplainable. I had a friend I went to high school with. He died when he was like 24. He went to sleep, never woke up. No explanation. The flesh is judged. That's been given. Death isn't been taken away, but the sting of death, because it's not eternal. That's why it says, but they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So our physical bodies are death, but ultimately, in Christ, we live with Him in glory forever. 
And so we don't need to be afraid of that and understand that, that, that that's where we can say, death's where is your victory, or death's where you're staying. Because death's not final. It actually is the entryway into the thing that we were created for. And so we are not created for this, so we should live our lives pointing to something that's better than that. We're not the same people we were going to be. If you knew me 15 years ago, you wouldn't understand why I'm doing this now because my life did not look that way. The people that I grew up with, every time you talk to, I don't know if, if you have friends that you talk to every now and then, it always goes back to what you used to do, right? You have conversations, oh, look what I had to do. Now the time hop thing on Facebook kind of lets you do that. Where you, This is what happened four years ago. Because we always want to think, look what this was, because we think that it was such a great time. Maybe you had less cares in the world. Maybe you're young and, and ignorant, arrogant in that, and you're just living your life day by day, and now all of a sudden you're an adult, and life's brutal. Right? It's like, man, I wish I could just not do anything. But that's not the gospel attitude. It says that, no, we move forward. We're not stuck in this world. We don't need to look back because greater things are yet to come. And that's why we have this gospel attitude. So do you live your life thinking about what used to happen and you're just grudgingly going through life now? Or do you understand that in Christ you're a new creation so you live your life pointing to glory to Him because that's, that's where life is happy and joyful. That's why Christians should be joyous. Not because we're out of touch with reality. It's because we know the ultimate reality is that we have something better for us. And that leads to a community that's not built on now, but it's built on something else. And if you keep reading, we understand that not only do we have a a gospel attitude, but our truth-shaped community has a gospel application. So we have this right attitude, living our lives, and the next logical progression is how. How do we live our life going that? What does that look like in community? Living around each other, knowing each other, what, how does that apply to our lives? Because remember, we said that people are messy, right? That I've said it over and over, people aren't lovable. You're going to catch people on a bad day at the wrong time, and then everything that they say is going to be skewed that way. And then why not just go away? But so how does the gospel then apply into that? And that's what we get to when we look at, look at the next couple of verses, really primarily seven, and not, 7 through 9. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And what we see in there is a gospel application. It's that we're to love people. It's a gospel application. But we need to understand, when we need to not just think, oh, well, love covers a multitude of sins. Because that's what, most of the time, if you ever hear this passage, that's what's quoted. And that's what people use. Love covers a multitude of sins, so how can you judge me? It says it here, it covers it. So you should, if you love me, if Christians are supposed to love people, then we shouldn't call out sin because it should cover that, right? Is that not what he's saying? But we need to see when in true community what that sincere love actually means that he's talking about. First, the end of all things is at hand. What he's talking about there is that Christ will return. It's not that Peter messed up and now that 2,000 years have passed and so we can throw out his prediction here. He wasn't making a prediction that's going to happen now. He's meaning that we're living in that in-between period where we don't know when Christ is going to return. And so we have to assume that it could happen now. So we have to live our lives with this understanding that at the end of all things, He's going to come again. We don't have time to wait. We're going to live in community. We're going to be sober-minded and self-controlled. We're not going to be controlled by the things of the world, but we're going to be transformed. 
That's where Romans 12 comes in again. We're going to live our lives for God, pressing forward, living sacrifices, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, understanding that we're going to be self-controlled and sober-minded. What? For the sake of your prayers. Do you pray for each other? I know some of you aren't necessarily partners with us here at the Watershed, but do you pray for people you're in community with? Do you actually seek their welfare? Because that's what he's talking about here, is that our prayers then lead to the gospel application of loving each other. Because when we're praying for them, when we're calling on God to come into their life, that's when we'll be genuinely loving people. So above all things, keep loving one another earnestly. Earnestly, intently, continually to love those. Why? Because it covers a multitude of sins. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we don't call sin, sin. It doesn't mean that. Because in fact, love points out sin because you want people to understand it so they can acknowledge it and change their life that way through the power of the Spirit. So what we see in that is that love covers a multitude of sin. That's the biggest application we have there of this gospel community, of our truth-shaped community, that, that our love for one another is going to cover a multitude of sins. It means we're not going to hold people's sins against them. We're going to love them as a child of God. And really, we see that work out in a couple ways. One is we forgive them. In, in Matthew 18, there's an interesting interchange between Peter and Jesus. He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. That a genuine love is going to forgive people. Even though they keep doing the same thing, you forgive them. And you do that through a gospel application because we understand that we forgive others because we've been forgiven ourselves. We extend the same thing that we've been given. And if you think about it, how many times today, since you woke up, how many times today have you sinned? It might be scary to think about. But what you need to understand there is that all those are forgiven in Christ. And so how can we then relate to other people that are the exact same way and not forgive them? We, we love because he first loved us, right? That's what First John tells us. So it covers a multitude of sins, so it allows us to forgive people, even when they continually do the same thing over and over again, and it's incredibly frustrating. You're like, are you kidding me? You still forgive. Because we've been forgiven. We can't expect people to have a higher standard than God expected for us. We didn't change our lives. He came into our life and forgave us, so we should forgive those. Because that's what true love looks like. It's also genuine. When you get to 1 Corinthians 13, right, the love chapter, if you've heard of that, if you've, if you've heard people talk about it, it's not just about relationships. It's not just about uh, this great relationship with youth ministry. That's all, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to tell them how to love, right? But it's not that. It's a genuine love. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy. And you see all that. And then at the end, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's a genuine love that's going to last that long. If it's not a genuine love, then you're not going to be able to forgive continually. You're not going to be able to love people because you're going to get tired of it. You're going to be like, are you kidding me? You're just going to stop talking to those people. All of a sudden, you screen calls. All of a sudden, you walk around the other way of the aisle in Walmart when you see someone. You're like, oh, did they see me? And you take off the other way? Because you don't want to get there. You don't want to, they've, they've burned me before. But that's not what love is. A, a genuine love is going to be there no matter what happens. And we can genuinely love people because he, God, genuinely loved us so much that he sent us his son. That he loved us. 
that much. And so it's this gospel application in our community that we're going to genuinely love people, and that genuine love leads to forgiving people. It covers that, and then ultimately it pursues. We'll talk more about this in the fall when we get into James, but in James, in James 5, 19 to 20, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from the death and will cover a multitude of sins. What we see in that is that in community, if you see someone continually living their life outside of how God's called us to, you should pursue them because of love, because of gospel application, because we were pursued by God. God came to us, literally came to us, and lived the life that we couldn't live. And so we should go to that in community. That's a gospel application. It's a gospel application. Matthew Henry said that it's not enough for Christians to not bear malice or not have common respect for one another. They must intensely and fervently love one, each, one another. And that right there is going to be the, the defining factor of do we have a truth-shaped community by a gospel application of loving one another. It's not enough just to get along. It's not enough just to have no malice for them, as Henry says. No, we should love people when they're unlovable because God loved us when we were unlovable. We should treat people the same way we've been treated. Our love doesn't forgive sin or even act if there's not sin. We still call sin, sin. And that's what the outside world doesn't understand. How can you call sin, sin and still love people? Because that's the biggest act of love is to tell people, hey, you're living outside of this. If you don't submit your life to Christ, then you're going to be found in that sin. Is it not more loving to tell people that they're living in sin than to just let them live in it when you know that there's something else? We see people as God saw us. He saw us in our sin and death, yet he sent his son. So we should see people the same way. Our community should be marked by love, and that's when the outside world sees it. When the gospel truly is applied in our lives and we love one another, that's when the world doesn't understand it. Because how can you love those people? Especially when it's a diverse body like we should have. How can you love those people? Because God loved us. That's what we see at this. And then ultimately, we, we have a, a gospel approach in our community. We don't just apply the gospel in our lives, but then it, it sends us out. Right? We, we should be on mission as a church, living our lives on mission, and so our community should be doing the same way. So there's this gospel attitude that shows us who we are, how we're supposed to live, pursuing, pressing forward, living our lives in this progression to glorify God through submitting our lives to Christ, and then we apply that by loving one another as Christ loved us, but also there's this gospel approach that we see that's a little different, and that's what you see in verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You can't get any plainer than that, right? There, there, there's, no, there's no translation needed there. If you've been given a gift, which we have, use it to serve one another. So if we're not serving other people, then we're not having a gospel approach to our lives and community. There's not a, not a doubt there. If you received a gift, use it to serve one another, what? As good stewards of God's very grace. By God's grace, we have life. By God's grace, we have given, been given everything. And so if we're going to be a good steward of that life, we're going to use the gifts that he's given us to serve one another. That's what Peter's saying here. And then in 11, he kind of divides it up a little bit. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God. That's primarily teaching in the church. If you're going to be teaching in the church, 
teaches if you're speaking on behalf of God. Oracles of God. And it gets more specific with serving. It says, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The strength to serve one another is given to us. Everything that we have has been given to us. That's why we're a steward of God's very grace when we serve one another in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say that God's glorified through how we serve one another. They serve through Jesus. He's glorified through Jesus. The Son glorifies the Father. And so do we when we serve through His power and point back to Christ. So we'll flip over to 1 Corinthians 12 real quick. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have this, this, this passage talking about spiritual gifts and understanding that. And there's a couple verses that I want to, want to point out because we all receive gifts. And that's what sometimes, like, what do I need to do? You're saying that I need to serve someone. I don't know what I can do. One, you just start doing things. Obviously, not all people are made to be in the nursery right now. It's fine. But how do you know if you don't try? I'm not saying that we should all bombard down there. But you, you'll know, right? You should know if you truly know who you are. And a lot of times what you do in the church and in community serving one another is what you do outside of the church. It just has a different application here. And so what we see is that we've all been gifted. Okay? In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says, Now there are various gifts, but the same Spirit. It's the first thing we need to understand, that we've all been given gifts, but it's from the same Spirit. It's all from God. We didn't receive gifts from different spirits, and all over the place, there's one God, one Spirit, and we've all been given a gift. That's what you see in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we've been given a gift by one Spirit. There's varied gifts, one Spirit, and we've all... To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So we've all been given gifts. We've all been given gifts in that. And then we see in verse 11 that there's different levels of those. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who what? Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what we need to see there is that you are directly gifted to do exactly what God has called you to do right now in a redemptive history as bringing glory to him. Just as when we talked about Nehemiah. Those people, that was what God had for them to do was build the city. Nehemiah to lead those. Ezra to lead the spiritual condition of the people at that time. And so the same is for us here at Watershed. We've been gifted specifically for this time in redemptive history for this community to bring glory to God. All by the same spirit in different levels. There are people that are better at things than you are. Outstanding. I cannot write that's largely why we don't have a lot of blog posts as a church. Because if I'm going to write something, Lindsay is going to have to edit it. And she just gets tired of doing that. And I get tired of asking her, like, why did you put a comment there? I, I find now that I should have paid more attention in, in senior English. You know, I feel like I should apologize to Miss Hobson that, that taught me senior English. Like, now I get it. But I can't write. Lindsay, on the other hand, she can just sit down and write something. I'm like, What? How did that go from your mind there? But, but she doesn't like speaking. I'm like, I would much rather have a conversation with someone than write it down. She'd rather write it down. Here, go read this. Now you understand. We, we've been given different gifts at different levels. It doesn't mean that I can't write, but I shouldn't be writing. And so we understand that, and when we look at that, we realize that there's a gospel approach to our community because we're using our gifts as we've been giving to minister to those, to serve other people. 
We need to realize that if you look back in, in 1 Peter, in verse 11, that they're all from God. It's been given to us from God. That's what he says. Verse 11. Whoever speaks, one who speaks of oracles God, whoever serves of God, and the strength that God supplies. And when we look at that, it's all coming from God. John Calvin commented on that, says that we can only, we cannot give our own, but only what God has committed to us. We can't give anything. We have nothing to give. Yet what God has been given, or has given to us. And so that's what we do. We have a gospel approach. We serve people through gifts that we've been given that ultimately then leads to acts of loving people because when we start serving and we understand that, that nothing is going to go right, that people are going to use the system, there's going to be people that, that use the church for their own gain. We can't, we can't worry about that. We serve those people. We speak into their lives. We call sin, sin. And then ultimately we have an attitude that we've got something better coming. We don't define who we are. God does that. He gives us everything. The whole point of the gospel is to serve people in a way that points glory to God. So we see in Matthew 20, what was Jesus' whole point of coming? He came to serve, not to be served. And so why would that be any different for his people? Why would that be any different for his church? Why would he come to serve if we weren't serving others in his name? You can't, you can't be divided on that. And so what we need to understand is ultimately all of this, this gospel attitude, application, approach leads to one thing, bringing glory to God through Jesus Christ. And what we see is that, that mission is an overflow of that community. It's an overflow of that approach. If we're going to serve each other, we serve each other first in the church. And what happens so many times, even in a young church like this, we think we've got to go to the community. We've got to grow our church. We've got to bring people in, and we neglect those that are already here. What we need, it's backwards. If we serve one another in the church, then mission's the overflow of that. Because then it outflows. We don't just go out. We serve each other here. And then people, your friends and your coworkers, they see that and they're like, why do y'all do that? And then people just naturally come. So mission's an overflow of that because then we welcome those people in. We serve them through love. That's the gospel approach. Serving one another. You've been given gifts to do it. But everything, and we'll finish with this, everything we do has to point back to the power given to us through Christ. That it's all Him. It's not us doing it. I'm not, I'm not up here doing this because I somehow thought this whole thing up. No, He gifted us and appointed people to do certain things. To do what? Bring glory to Him. To bring glory to the Father. Again, Matthew Henry says it best. says that God is not glorified by anything we do if we do not offer it to Him through the mediation and merits of Jesus Christ. So what we see in there is that if we point to ourselves, we're not bringing glory to God, we're bringing glory to ourselves. If we try to define who we are as individuals, we're, we're putting us as elevated and bring glory to ourselves. And that's what our culture is doing right now. We're celebrating the individual instead of the creator. We don't understand that. But everything we do it brings glory to God only if we do it through Christ and his gifts given to us. Otherwise, it's about us.
That's the whole point of everything is to bring glory to God. And if we point to ourselves, we're not pointing to him. And so as we have this truth-shaped community, what we want to do in that is we want to live as people understanding that we've been bought with a price. That price was paid by Jesus' blood on the cross. That his death and resurrection is why we have everything that we have. And so we see that love of the Father and we can love those around us. And when we love those around us, it covers sins because we forgive people and we understand that we're all the same way. And when we do that, we'll see that mission flows from that. Because when we love people and we cover those sins, we're going to serve one another. And when we serve one another well, culture around us notices and then that's when people are brought in. That's why the gospel spreads when it's marginalized. Because people don't understand why it's still thriving if it's marginalized. But that's when it works best. Because then it's people living for something beyond this. And that's what everyone's looking for, meaning. We have the meaning. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's where we find everything that we need to live amongst ourselves in community. Let's pray.